Uh, hi all, welcome to Investex 11 AM series on building material uh, and home improvement. Uh, we host trendsetters and disruptors to better understand the sectors in a post-COVID environment. Uh, today we have with us uh, Mr. Srikanth Reddy, Joint Managing Director of Sagar Cement. Uh, honestly, he needs no introduction. I consider him a cement guru and it's always a pleasure to host you and learn from you, sir. Uh, for today's discussion, uh, in Q&A, we will dissect the discussion uh, into key uh, headings. Uh, first, will be supply. Uh, second, it will be pricing, uh, wherein we will try to understand the underlying variables which impact pricing and the current trends. Third, will be logistics and distribution. And fourth, will be demand trends. Thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, everyone. And thank you, Mr. Ritish, for hosting us. I'll first start with supply. Uh, now, this is something which is quite critical in uh, the current market conditions, wherein there's a big question mark. Uh, so, sir, first, my basic question is, uh, when you negotiate with the equipment vendors, uh, what sort of negotiations uh, do you have when it comes to uh, delivery of the equipment and when it comes to uh, pricing of the actual orders? And in current circumstances, when uh, you have a COVID-like scenario, uh, is there a possibility to delay the orders or uh, can uh, companies get better terms or to the orders what they have already placed? Yeah, uh, Ritish, I think this is very specific case-to-case -case kind of a scenario. So there is no general uh, uh, historical experience that one had pertaining to this because I think uh, this scenario has kept a lot of... Uh, uh, at least some of the jargons uh, like force measure and all, uh, we, we have not seen historically usage of such classes, but, but the reality is very simple. I mean, uh, how, how the project progress is going to happen, uh, will, will people continue to implement the project? I think in that, realistically and logically speaking, I think the projects which are in uh, uh, advanced stage, we, we believe that uh, people would like to uh, Execute the project and, and try to conclude the, uh, at the earliest because most of the capital is already put in. So in that regard, yeah, probably uh, the, the project proponent would, would be keen to get all the uh, equipment uh, in line with what, what has been committed. Barring the adjustments that might be required because of the COVID impact, like some of the deliveries might get delayed, so that, that potentially could be uh, the delay one has to factor in for implementing such projects. Now, if the project is in the initial phase, and if the project proponent decides to defer, I mean, that is where the uh, the question of how, how renegotiations and everything would come by, I think that, that's a cash-22 situation. Uh, I think uh, for last couple of years, I think uh, the, the vendors were under stress. So, most of the equipment orders were, uh, were negotiated at a very, very competitive prices. So, given that scenario, would there be a delay? My belief is there may not be a huge leeway. Uh, the, the only flexibility that might happen is probably whatever is, is in advanced state of manufacturing or whatever is manufactured and is lying in the workshop, yeah, the vendors might uh, request uh, the project company to pick that up and whatever is not made, probably that would be delayed. And some cash flow related adjustments may happen, uh, that, that, but that is very case-to-case -case kind of an effect. So there is no uh, generic thumb rule. Uh, yeah, the COVID impact has been uh, uh, a new impact, so I don't think there has been a historical experience uh, pertaining to not only the project, but I think everywhere it is the case. Uh, we, we have to see how the reaction should be, but again it depends on the relationship between the uh, supplier as well as the project. Uh, so it's too soon. Uh, uh, we, we have to learn from the experience. 
But the likely scenarios, as I mentioned, uh, it could be anywhere in between. Right. But then, if one looks at the recent uh, examples of the something like Jaisal Cement, that's a given big target. However, uh, we haven't seen much of that views actually get commissioned, or there have been some market rumors about uh, commissioning delays even in case of Ahuja and ATP, which we don't buy in. Uh, but is it something which the companies can or they have the flexibility uh, if they have already given some issues uh, to defer the project from two years to three years? Now, only from a vendor supplier as well, uh, supplier as well, uh, they don't have much uh, option uh, given uh, the condition of the market isn't that great. Uh, so the bargaining power definitely lies with uh, the company management. Yeah, Rishish, I think it's a, it's a very strange situation. Would, would the people postpone the project because of this event? Uh, if you look at a very short term perspective and the last 45 days, uh, the impact it had of the demand and all, uh, people cannot take such a long term call. I think most of the uh, projects are meant for a very long term uh, decision. Yeah, People might want to postpone or delay just to really assess how long this impact is going to be. Yeah, that I think uh, is in the early stage. So will they cancel the project? Yeah, cancellation has its own conditions. Yeah, will they postpone the project? Again, as I mentioned, when it comes to postponement, uh, we, we should be considerate about uh, as much as vendor is even the project proponent. Uh, the status of the project has to be, uh, has to be given due consideration. If uh, I, I would I would say that most of the drawings which are customized. And some of the equipment which is highly customized, if, if it is built, I think the obligation is on the project component to, to, to take it if it is fully manufactured. If it's in early stage, obviously I'm sure it's a negotiation case uh, between the vendor and the uh, uh, project component uh, as to what they would like to do. But there were instances in the past uh, where, where, you know, some, some of the people uh, did cancel the project. So, what we have heard, again, it's, it's not something which we were part of, but what we have heard from the market is that uh, their advances were forfeited. And some instances, uh, suppliers and uh, uh, project proponents went into a negotiation where some portion of the advance also was uh, returned. But it's a case-to-case affair. I don't think there is a general formula that, that uh, people have applied for. Now, coming back to would people seriously cancel projects, uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a balance sheet issue and it's a company's uh, strategic issue. People might want to take some more time before taking any decision. Uh, uh, given that we are only 45 days into this COVID, so, so it's too soon for us to take any call which way. See, in our own case, which I can, I can, I can really comment, that we, we, we would want to go ahead with the Sadhguru project because we are reasonably I would not call halfway through, but we are halfway through the uh, civil work. Jajpur still is in an early stage, sir. Probably uh, the, the timeline of the project might be reviewed given the scenario. Yeah, how much delay we want to do is too soon. Yeah, probably uh, as we get into, every quarter we would like to take a call about the overall kind of financial impact and then take a call. This is in spite of redoing the entire financial closure, sir. That, that's what I can state on the project. But it's a case-to-case effect, so there is no general kind of a statement one can make uh, on supply-related issues pertaining to the project implementation or release. Uh, okay.
Uh, second question is, uh, more recently we have been hearing about uh, Ministry of Mines uh, possibly changing regulations. Uh, now, I'm quite familiar basically when it comes to uh, steel as a sector. They are looking to review iron ore captive leases. Uh, the, uh, uh, the lease expiry, which was at 2030, there are talks that it could be reduced till, you know, on 2025. Uh, this is a five year reduction. It impacts uh, large steel companies. Uh, when it comes to cement, we also do understand that there could be a proposal uh, for companies which are sitting on existing leases, uh, limestone leases which haven't been utilized. Uh, if they don't do anything about it, all those leases will stand cancelled. Uh, sir, any particular uh, thoughts on this for hearing something? And if this particular variable does happen to be true, do uh, you see that there could be some incremental announcements or more capacity? Uh, yeah, Rukish, when it comes to the mining regulations, sir, we cannot comment on the rumors. Though we have seen few drafts, yeah, there were instances where they were trying to tweak some of the regulations that have come by. Yeah, that might have some impact. Uh, it, it is not like reducing the actual uh, terminal date, which was 2030, which was uh, 50 years from the first mining lease, or 2030, whichever comes earlier was the earlier regulation. I don't think, uh, at least we have not heard anything pertaining to that so far, but what we have heard is there was some specific regulation where uh, some of the mines which are halfway through in terms of the paperwork, you know, like like PL getting converted into ML and before the mining is getting executed, I think there is some amount of rethinking is what we have heard. Again, these are last. Uh, and uh, is it specific to limestone? No, I think it's a very, very generic kind of uh, uh, mining regulations is what we keep hearing. Uh, Will, will it have a long-term impact? I, I doubt. But but most of the time, uh, what has happened is regulations come first and uh, clarifications come later. I, I would prefer to wait for final clarifications to come before taking any call pertaining to that. See, I think most of the companies have geared up for, for mining leases which are expected to get terminated 50 years from the first mining lease. I think most of the companies logically should have, should have made good progress on that. Uh, given that scenario, even 2030 should not be a problem addressing that issue. But the bigger problem comes where uh, some mines which are in transition, and especially ones which are uh, where the forest uh, land is involved, where the replacement land is procured, but mining lease is not executed because of various uh, regulatory issues. If that gets cancelled, yeah, that that would create a lot of operational kind of an issue going forward. Sir. But but it's too soon for us to comment anything. Does not. Uh, not many things are out. I mean, most of it is rumored. So we would want to see the uh, regulations in, in absolute clarity before uh, commenting anything on that. Uh, I'm sure you'll appreciate the, the, the comment of mine. It's too soon because we, we are not in know of all the potential regulations that are in that are in discussion. And most of the regulations which are in draft cannot be assumed to to be the final one. So so till we see the final one. Taking any call in any which way may not be the prudent uh, approach. Right, sir. Uh, sir, you touched upon your expansion plans of Sadhguru uh, and Jashpur. Uh, sir, would you like to comment on uh, the industry expansion plans, specifically in South and East? Uh, there were uh, mentions of Ranko, is there, Dalga is there, uh, Shri is there. Uh, this was the key larger one. Uh, so, would you like to comment about the, some color on uh, where the expansion timelines are or see any uh, room for this over here? 
Yeah, I think all India canvas is too big for us to look at it, sir. Uh, yeah, my, our specific comment is pertaining to specific our region. See, in our region, uh, Penna is already commissioned. The Boyeredi uh, second line is already commissioned, sir. Yeah, we hear that Chetinad, which is also coming up in Guntur, I believe it is near commissioning or would have commissioned, so not much information is available given the COVID scenario. But what we have heard last was that they were due for commissioning anytime soon. Yeah, what I have to mention there is their grinding line was commissioned almost good six months to a year back. So their clinker line was due for commissioning before the COVID date. So it's, it's a question of few days. I, I, I think Ramco was, uh, from, from the statements that we have heard from them, yeah, they were due for commissioning by, by uh, next couple of quarters. Uh, we, we have not heard post-COVID because I think this scenario did not give us any scope for us to really interact or understand where the project is. Yeah, most of these projects are in very, very advanced phase. So, largely speaking, I don't see a reason why anybody should delay these projects. And some of the projects that we track are the grinding stations in uh, Odisha, sir. So, some of them which are in advanced stage are likely to get commissioned. Uh, some which are in uh, construction stage, like ours, we are in early stage, so commenting anything about them it was too soon. They are good year, year and a half away from commissioning. Uh, rest of all the other uh, commissionings, I believe, should have commissioned or are in the very advanced stage of commissioning, uh, probably a month, 15 days to a month away from commissioning. Uh, that would be the current uh, status update that we have. Uh, probably we would need some additional time just to really know what is happening on the ground. Uh, post lockdown lifting, I think we will have a lot more clarity on that. Great. Uh, sir, more recently, uh, the space, specifically in Southern India, what we hear, there was a transaction with CRS and my home. Uh, however, the valuation consideration over here was not known. Uh, I think the timing is right if not for the valuation expectations of the promoters to turn out. Uh, there can be a lot of M&A in the space and there are several uh, leveraged assets also. Uh, so, wanted to have your thoughts on this and if possible, to, if you have some sense on the valuation uh, between my home and ERS, uh, it, will, it will be a good help to uh, understand. See, we, 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 we are not in know of the valuation, sir. Uh, we, we've only heard that uh, there, there was an agreement for CRS to exist and the current promoter of uh, my home has agreed to take the stake of CRS. Uh, we, we are not in know of the exact valuation, uh, so that, that part as stated is not in public domain, so so is the case here, we are exactly not in know of what the valuations were for the transaction. Now going back to the M&A sir, I think M&A is a function of there should be there should be buyers and there should be sellers, but I think in a given scenario we don't see many buyers sir. So this scenario will lot of M&A happen. Yeah, there could be few selective uh, uh, acquisitions, but would I call it as a consolidation at the industry level? I don't think we can we can really uh, uh, keep our neck out to say that uh, industry due for a very deep kind of a consolidation. Yeah, especially in South, if you, if you look at, uh, there, there is a huge uh, number of players. The divergence in, in terms of the size of the players are also is very, very wide. Uh, but, but if you look at uh, percentage of large players vis-a-vis -vis small players, I think the percentage of large players have more capacity in South. So it would, it would rationally keep thinking that consolidation might take longer in South than any other region in India. Uh, yeah, the reason why we are saying that is, uh, other than valuation expectations, the buyer might look at certain minimum size for him to really uh, acquire. 
and at the same time uh, the fragmentation is so wide if somebody seriously embarks on uh, consolidation i think he will spend more time in consolidation than actually doing business uh, given the scenario of uh, number of players in south uh, elsewhere i have no comments to add i am sure there could be one or two of transactions but that doesn't that doesn't mean that industry is actually consolidating the the way generally people look at it uh, uh given the valuations which are uh, especially the listed ones there they are i think the gap in expectations between both uh, buyer and seller looks to be even more wider now uh, or will be wider because buyer probably would want to pay near what the current market reflection is and seller obviously would like to have certain value which may be near uh, replacement cost uh, but at this point of time if you look at uh, from the way the listed uh, players are uh, the gap looks to be very very wide so i personally would not expect major transactions to happen now having said that uh, the stress level of the, at the industry level sir optically might look different but on ground i would not like to comment that uh, only selected players are under stress i i would con- I, i would assume that everybody is under stress given the scenario right uh thank thank you for your comments so, sir we move to the second part on pricing uh, which is a very interesting subject uh our dissected those into three parts uh, variable which impact pricing uh, dissecting the pricing elements sir and third is basically working capital versus uh, incentive payout where an incentive is a part of uh, pricing uh sir coming to the first section on variables which impact pricing uh honestly to us it's, it's not purely uh, a function of this it's also a function of leverage and cost structure uh if one looks at the interest coverage ratio for southern india we don't see leverage much of a problem uh, if one looks at it on a volume based capacity basis uh, so sir what is have you thought uh, on a pan india basis we have heard announcement of price increases uh, but when it comes to leverage uh, south is still a little better place as compared to rest of the region uh, so sir can you put into perspective one is leverage and if you are hearing anything uh, Government is actually seeking moratorium uh, on the payment given the RBI's relaxation terms. So I want you to help understand leverage and pricing uh, in context. Yeah. Now, first, let us understand the first question uh, pertains to pricing and the variable part of it. See, ideally speaking, uh, what we have learned is that the cost. Uh, in a cost, 80% should be variable and 20% should be fixed. I think most of the sector fundamentally has been very close to that. And South Goa uh, has undergone a uh, uh, lot of stress points uh, in the past. If you look at close to a decade now, yeah, the average capacity utilization in South was very close to anywhere between 55 to 60 at the best. So given that scenario, most of the industry has actually learned to live. Uh, Uh, with a lower uh, capacity utilization and a very fluctuating kind of uh, pricing scenario and for more than half of the time uh, the pricing scenario was favorable and uh, near close to slightly ha- the other part was uh, under stress where uh, price did not match to the uh, uh, to price was only helping most of the industry survive so in spite of uh, industry operating close to around on an average at 55 to 60% Yeah, most of the uh, companies uh, variable cost has been at 80% to 20% of the fixed cost. Now, now fundamentally, uh, now what is this cost? See, every time uh, 
Crosses look, crosses look from a different perspective. Yeah, in our own case, if you look at it, there are two, two, two ways that we look at the cost. Yeah, we, we, we remove the cost uh, at, at the plant and we remove, uh, we, we identify the cost which are at plant and we identify the cost which are outside the plant. Now, when you identify the variables, sir, the variable starts right from the GST because it is very directly proportional to the invoice that you do. Then you have the freight. So you don't have one singular freight. I mean, freight keeps changing because your market keeps changing. Then you have discounts. And you have a huge basket of discounts. Now, one needs to understand this concept because uh, the, the second part of your question is directly proportional to the discounts that people offer. Yeah, some, yeah, people have been very innovative. They keep changing the names, but fundamentally, the discounts that uh, people have is cash discount, which is very classical. Yeah, which is where people you get advance or you get certain credit days, yeah, cash discounts is a variable pertaining to how the how your customer or your, your network actually pays up. Then you have quantity discount, which is the volume discount. Then you have the annual discount, because there are some incentives which are highly annualized. Yeah, then you have what we call as a product discount. See, uh, uh, the higher the blend, then for each region, yeah, people would want to promote some blending, so people also have uh, this product discount. Yeah, then you have something which is exclusive dealer discount. If some dealer is not dealing with uh, any other product but for you, you have this exclusive discount. And one of the very interesting things that we have learned over a certain period of time, what we call as the price differential, yeah, they call it as a supply chain discount or whatever, but this discount is, is just to calibrate to ensure the competitiveness. Yeah, since uh, the price is not known upfront, yeah, the, the, the price gets discovered purely because of the competitiveness, yeah, there is this one particular discount which is highly variable, yeah, because you, you end up pricing the product uh, wishfully that you want to sell this product at a very valuable kind of a thing, but for some some reason at the marketplace you are not able to get what you are looking for, so you obviously need, you, you need some flexibility in terms of the discount to match up with competitive intensity, so this is one one discount which actually has been very, very disturbing over the last few years, but the industry had no choice but to come up with this discount. So, when you list all these things, sir, yeah, these are some of the variables which are outside the gate, okay? Then you have variables which are inside the gate, uh, which is the raw material, the fuel, the energy, the space and maintenance. I mean, yeah, these, these two together would actually be a variable. Now, some of the variables which are, which are listed outside the gate, are not in one's control, it it's actually goes with the environment. But when it comes to the, uh, before the gate, yeah, which is the real cost, yeah, which actually decides most part of the time, uh, the efficiency of the plant itself, uh, yeah, those, those uh, in the past, uh, as I mentioned, southern cement industry in general have mastered the art where uh, uh, earlier people used to say that if you are operating at 100%, your variable cost would be at the lowest and if you were to operate at uh, uh, close to 50-60%, this would have sell. But the industry over a period of time uh, has, has understood this and tried to reach to a scenario where the gap in the uh, pre-gate uh, variables, uh, they have mastered to an extent that there is a very, very small gap uh, irrespective of the operating uh, capacities. Uh, Though there is, but that's very, very minuscule. So, uh, now, now, the reason why I'm trying to state this is that when you are trying to operate it at even a lower percentage because of this impact, 
दिस वेरिएबल कॉस्ट क्वेश्चन में नॉट सिग्निफिकेंटली बी हायर इवन इफ यू हर टू ऑपरेट एट थर्टी परसेंट कैपेसिटी यूटिलाइजेशन नाउ नाउ दबो लाइन आइटम विच इज आफ्टर द ग्रेट इज द फंक्शन ऑफ द मार्केट देर इफ कबडी इज पेइंग यू ऑपरेंट अपर्स यूर कैश डिस्काउंट वुड बी एट दिस हाइएस्ट आई एम आई एम ऑल्सो एडजस्टिंग द सेकेंड पार्ट ऑफ सम ऑफ द क्वेश्चन दैट यू हैव सो पीपल टूडे एवरीबडी इज लुकिंग एट लिक्विडिटी सो वेन पीपल आर लुकिंग एट लिक्विडिटी वन ऑफ द बेस्ट थिंग्स इज दैट दे वुड वॉन्ट कैश एंड कैरी डिस्काउंट टू हैपन एंड मोस्ट ऑफ द टाइम दिस कैश डिस्काउंट इज एप्लीकेबल इज इन नेटवर्क दैट वॉट पीपल कॉल इज द ट्रेड इन नॉन ट्रेड सर इट इज गिवन अपफ्रेंट बिकॉज ही इज गिविंग यू कैश अपफ्रेंट एंड इज ऑल्सो बाइंग लार्ज क्वांटिटीज सो दैट सीरी एंड ट्यूरी गेट्स एडेड अप सो मोस्ट ऑफ द इंस्टेंटेज पीपल थिंक द ट्रेड इज बेटर दैन नॉन ट्रेड but the reality is the difference is that cd and qd sir so if uh, most of the instances non trade yeah you bunch up the cd and qd because you don't have to discover what the quantity is going to be because it's known up front so those discounts are passed on up front which also straight away gets reflected in the invoicing uh, whereas in the trade network this is discovered basis how the dealer is going to perform so that's the ideal difference sir but sometimes uh, people panic and try to price non trade because it's more opportunistic so they don't want to lose it so they might sometimes price it aggressively so that's how over a period of time the gap between trade and non trade slowly started widening up but historically if you have to see the gap was only the cd and qd as a combination sir and the invoice value over a period of time uh, your mrc is relevant uh, it was not there then the relevance of mrc went up during the vat regime and once the gst came for some part of it the mrc was important because you are invoicing or your your gst was paid on mrc now the current regulation is that mrc has no relevance your actual invoice uh, is deciding the gst so that mrc part is done uh, very specifically uh, i would not like to complicate too much into dwelling into this pricing scenario yeah pricing scenario what we have understood is uh, when when most of the players are under stress the stress is not because of their leverage alone sir the stress is due to because of the market condition if there is a huge gap in demand and supply yeah we have seen industry not as a whole but all the companies or most of the companies have have chosen uh, to opt out of supply but preferring price because of the survival kind of a thing because if people tend to focus more on supply yeah we have seen that uh, price taking the toll and there were instances where price was not even covering the uh, pre gate uh, uh, variable also there were some instances where we could not realize uh, uh, the pre gate costing uh, the pricing and there were instances where there was no correlation to the cost to the pricing scenario Which truly reflects an EBITDA margin. So we have seen an EBITDA margin, margin up of 40 percent. Yeah, we have seen instances where we were not even getting any EBITDA. Sir. In fact, there was uh, negative EBITDA, or far more, we were not even anywhere close to the cash cost or the variable cost uh, pre-gate. So any specific questions that you might have would be helpful. Uh, Rajesh, so, I can go on, but uh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so uh, uh, amazing, amazing insights over here. Sir, I just wanted to uh, understand from your 
Valley if I'm a dealer, right? So uh, first I take it as a dealer. So I'm I'm sitting on a retail counter. I don't know how much of throughput I'll have. So obviously, if I have to look at my ROC, I don't have acceptance. I'm going to ask you for more discounts, uh, more credit discount. Everything I more because volumes are not moving. Uh, now there are five companies which are catering to me as an individual on a retail counter. Uh, so what is the thought process of companies? Because when we dig into numbers, or something for Ultratech, we find discount as percentage of EBITDA per ton, as high as 50%. Now, this is despite the fact Ultratech, being Ultratech and it being such a solid brand, uh, they are forced to give such heavy discount. Uh, now, how to approach it when you, when you also look at it from uh, the economics of a retail counter and how does the companies actually uh, look at it? Because this is... Uh, a very easy variable where in my say nobody gives more discounts, everybody's profitability moves up and uh, it really doesn't impact what the end product price is. So we as analysts, we talk about uh, market rates, but besides the market rates but that we talk about, there are so many variables that you indicated are of significance. Uh, so, so how would you put the economics in perspective from your angle and from a retail counter angle? See, I think it is it's, it's easy to speak on a no-name no basis because uh, yeah, everybody's cement gets sold, sir. I think it's the same market. So, uh, from from a retail network perspective, yeah, let us let us take two steps back. See, retailer would have a wholesaler uh, in most instances or in some instances, and then it's actually the plant. Uh, it's then the companies. Yeah, uh, ideally, the pricing of the product should match to the uh, viability across the network. That is, the plant making some some decent returns, uh, then the uh, the network also making decent returns, and the product pricing should have should have accommodated all of this. Uh, our past experience has been that uh, the market was very very volatile. Sometimes it was giving higher than the expectations, and sometimes it was not even matching for a mere survival. The way we have played, if, if you look at the last decade, which is the same. 60% the price was uh, the, the price was such that the average industry EBITDA was anywhere between 18 to 22%. Uh, 40% of the time it was less minuscule single digits. So in each of the instances, the price of the product or the discount never matters. It's a more a competitive intensity and the demand profile of the regions that we surveyed actually decided the uh, the pricing. The dealer discount, more or less, the dealer would, would definitely take something as a minimum, which he definitely adds up to to make a sale. Yeah, some dealer probably would pass on whatever he is making. If he is benevolent, probably he would want to pass on something more than what uh, he keeps. But our experience is that dealer definitely his, his uh, uh, discounts uh, were reasonably predefined. Very few instances... Uh, People actually undersold uh, uh, for the transfer pricing, so they usually like to come back and ask for compensating for that. Yeah, there were very few times where some of the industry players compensated for that, but most of the instances we have seen that he should actually add up and go ahead and sell. So that it only means that uh, the pricing was more given by the company itself. Yeah, there are some companies who actually look at uh, chase the market share, so they were not concerned about the price of the product. They were looking at the volume that they were selling. There were some who were who were very price conscious when they said that irrespective of whatever volume that I would get, yeah, I need to sell at this. There are some players who probably have taken the mid path. 
So given that scenario, yeah, the pricing environment has been extremely dynamic. So there is no one formula that was followed. So that is one of the reasons why yeah, this so-called price difference or the variable discounting structure which to accommodate for the competitiveness has come by. So that was one which actually played, that actually never re- was retained by the dealer sir. It, it was done purely to, 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 to discover the price that was there in the market. So net net it was something which was a free floater. Uh, most of the dealers, uh, the historical dealers who had experiences, yeah, they, they fundamentally keep the cash discount and fundamentally keep the QD and add up for whatever is the return that they expect for the investment that they have done. So one of the studies that we have internally done, they, they, their, their returns also match to the investment that they do, which is very similar to the, uh, the industry return which is anywhere between 18 to 20% kind of a EBITDA margin. Uh, in their case, probably for, for the investment that they do, we have seen people looking anywhere between 18 to 24% as the return which they, they have done. There were a few times where it, it was reached, either upper side or lower side, but most of the instances this is fixed. So given that scenario, sir, for outsiders it might look that uh, there is a lot of variability, but uh, fundamentally uh, when, when, when most of the players in the industry uh, were looking at survival or looking at a decent return, yeah, we have seen price environment to be very, very stable uh, and highly predictable. Uh, for some time when somebody was trying to stretch, uh, obviously um, uh, one player is good enough to uh, disturb. So those instances we have seen the overall environment getting disturbed, uh, that, that's how there is a huge volatility that has come by. I mean that's what I would like to state uh, very, very clearly. Right. Uh, that's quite, quite interesting, sir. Uh, sir, before we move on, uh, sir, we have heard uh, about the several price increases on, on a panic basis. Uh, sir, can you give some commentary on actually how much has the actual transmission on the trade and non-trade side and if you can give some color state-wise as possible? Yeah, Ritish, all India canvas is big. Commenting about each of the region is too big for us. So, I'm sure you will appreciate our stance. Yes, it's not an Yeah, I mean, I, I cannot comment about the regions. I can only comment about myself, which is three ahead of uh, we have always been uh, a sectorial player, so it is safe to assume that most of the players would, would have a similar or better than us. Uh, the approach that we have taken, especially during the COVID time, uh, yeah, we, 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 we had some uh, material that was flowing by. Yeah, we, we, we basically operated anyway close to around 7.5 to 10% uh, capacity utilization during those times. Yeah, during those times, uh, uh, we, we decided that we would not put everybody at risk if I am not getting the price. Okay? Uh, so we, we took a non-trade uh, price with cash and carry. Earlier we used to be slightly benevolent of giving higher credit limit. Yeah, we, we, we made it very simple to, to customer to approach us for material during that time. Uh, that it's a cash and carry. And secondly, we priced the product where we thought that at 10% the, the issue of survival has come. We were not looking at return, so we wanted to cover up our basic hard costs, yeah, which, which we wanted to realize the salaries and the admin costs which would have either way incurred. And we reverse priced it, yeah, which, which effectively gave us uh, close to an NCR, which is the safest bet, sir. Or else it's highly variable in terms of the rate and all. 
So it actually added up close to around 1300 rupees uh, incremental additional utilization, and even at that, we barely made uh, our, our cost match up. Here we are not talking of interest coverage. We are not talking of any of that stuff. Yeah, that barely covered our fixed cost to certain extent. So that has been a price increase. So just to give you where it was to how it was. See earlier we were probably hovering around 260 kind of a number. Yeah, we actually took a call that it should be 320 to 325 is the average price that we realized at an on trade. The trade segment was hovering somewhere around 285. Yeah, that was closer around 350 during that time. That's uh, very useful. Uh, so, lastly, if one had to look at, uh, okay, as an analyst, I always wonder, uh, discounts is something which I'll never have a handle on. Uh, so, if I'm a dealer, if it is March end for me, and I have taken a knock on my volumes for the month of March, and my annual uh, volume KRA would also take a knock. Uh, so, as a management, when you look at uh, the economics of the retail counter, uh, one option that you could possibly have is uh, you extend his credit days, you play on the working capital, help him, and that will show up on your balance sheet. Uh, the other thing is probably you can actually increase the discount, not penalize him. Uh, the reason I'm asking this is uh, the way in which you either look at that or, or from PNL perspective. It is easy to impact the reported numbers for Q4 and Q1 for most of the companies. Uh, so, sir, how should one read this situation wherein how the management or how will the target segment uh, help dealers and consequently it will have an impact on the reporting as well? Uh, so, I think, I think impact impact was not singular, sir. Impact was across. So, our approach was very straightforward. So, so we lost 10 days of March, which was crucial for me. Uh, closure perspective because most of the time what dealers tend to do is they would want to uh, they would want to have uh, near zero opening balances for the April month so they actually put give whatever are the pending dues so that they would they would get their incentives in terms of CD and QD so the the stance that we have taken is we 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 wanted to give uh, a, a reward kind of a schedule where those incentives were knocked out. Uh, proportioning has been done, so whatever incentives that they were due, it was proportioned and passed on to them. So in that we have not uh, went back. I'm sure that that's a that's a general industry trend. So we are no different. Now going to an annualized discount, sir. As I told you, it was done proportionally. Whatever he was likely to do, that has been either added up or adjusted accordingly, and those discounts were generally passed back to him. Now coming back to the uh, 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 the Receivables that we were that were due from them, yeah, we we actually gave an extra month, or we gave them the flexibility to come and clear us as and when it is conducive, sir. I'm very happy to say that uh, uh, April month was not bad. In fact, we we did not expect such a large cash flow even during that that month. But fortunately, uh, the entire network that also includes large institutional players could pay. Uh, Which which reduced the gap uh, from, from the receivables days perspective or the credit days perspective. Yeah, does it need a rework? Uh, we we believe it doesn't need a rework, sir. Probably what we would like to do is, uh, given the scenario where the demand is going to be lower, uh, we we believe that he should add up that much more before selling, and he should be mindful to take that 
accept Mahadin to accommodate for the for, for, for the given uh, uh, scenario. Now, when when we talk of this, sir, yeah, we are not talking of extremely high pricing. I don't think the pricing environment in India, especially in South, has reached to its historical high either. either. See, when when we are looking at uh, 350, 360 kind of a retail pricing in some of those uh, pockets of Andhra and 400, 420 kind of uh, pricing in deep south, these are not historical high pricing, sir. These are still 5 to 10 percent lower than what these prices were probably 5 to 6 years back. So, what we are doing here uh, is not something where we are trying to impact the end consumer in a big way. I am sure it is not out of place to mention that the cement price very influences the end consumer in a big way, sir. On a very high side, it is 35 to 4%, and most of the instances, it is less than 2% would be the influence on the overall uh, cost structure of the end use, be it ISB or any of the large projects, sir. So, though, though uh, the sector is demonized, uh, so, I do not want to use all the words that have been used, but the reality is that this product is a wonder product. It's such a low cost product uh, and, and the price of the product doesn't really influence the end consumer's price in a big way, sir. So, when it comes to the survival, yeah, it's, a, it's a more question of the mindset of each of the players. Uh, it's logical to take more a survival or existential kind of a requirement rather than try to this standpoint, try to look at the returns at this point of time. So, given the scenario, uh, we, 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 we believe that uh, the low capacity utilization, uh, then what we are used to, uh, we should expect and price the product and, and we want all the industry players to be more responsible because optically everybody looks uh, reasonably healthy or under leveraged, but that's more a spot uh, assessment, but I think whoever were comfortable in a balance sheet do have an ambition for expansion. So, if you, if you, if you and some of them are actually in pipeline, so their spot uh, evaluation of their balance sheets look okay, but 90-95% of the industry is under stress. So, given that scenario, they believe that uh, the, the existential price is must. Uh, we, we have made a call that we would only sell if I get the price which is required for my for existence, not just for survival. Once the uh, ramp up of the capacity happens beyond certain point, there could be some pressure on the price, but uh, the, unless we cross 35 or 40 percent capacity utilization, sir, I think this existential price would, would, would be directly proportional to the capacity utilization that we are going to do. So, that's what we strongly believe, uh, Ritesh. Uh, uh, so thank you so much for the comment. I'll just move quickly to the third and the fourth part. Uh, so third part is about logistics distribution. Now under current circumstances, uh, what part of the supply chain uh, you think can actually be a constraint? Uh, one can look at it uh, from a labor angle or basically uh, anything from an operation to uh, the entire uh, value chain. Uh, so what what is the key thing or table uh, that one has to keep an eye on? Sir, I think this, this event is not an event which is uh, done. So, it's a start-stop kind of an event, uh, Ritish. Logically speaking, directly from plant to the end consumer would be the shortest supply chain. So, where you actually load on the truck and the truck goes straight to the uh, end consumer and it gets unloaded. So, the number of people that you need 
is minimal in that scenario but yeah that's highly constrained because given if somebody at a lower capacity relation could be reasonably efficient where his spark is reaching directly to the end consumer uh, that's only a possibility uh, when, when your capacity relation is very 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 low uh, because your constraints pertaining to the availability of the drivers and everything is extremely high and it's very very ambiguous you cannot take a call and assume that drivers would be available like how they were in the past uh, if, if if they are from a red zone yeah if, if even if driver is willing to uh, want to come and work their family may insist that he may not they they may not want him to come and work these are some of the issues now when it comes to the packing plant contractor sir uh, most of the instances their environment that they are in is reasonably controlled because my assumption is that most of them are stationed in a plant their plant environment is reasonably stable so there are not many uh, unknowns pertaining to that so if it's a red zone it's a red zone it's a green zone it's a green zone and the hygiene related issues are very much in control of the plants but just imagine that the when the truck reaches the other side yeah, you obviously need uh, more labor to unload uh, even there some adjustments can be made with less labor because truck can wait for longer for it to get unloaded there also the availability is is in question but can manage with a lower truck now the challenge starts the minute you start getting into the larger modes of transportation especially with the uh, the uh, rail uh, railway still loading could be done with limited people because most of the loading sites are automated but the challenge starts at the unloading sites sir most of 99% of the unloading sites are manually have to happen and there is a limitation in terms of this uh, the space that you would have and the demerges i'm sure railways might be considered but the fact remains that if everybody tries to take the approach uh, the availability of the uh, the space right next to the wagon or the platform may be a constraint and at the same time there is a higher volume of uh, it reaching the market so from there again it needs to be uh, unloaded from the rate and loaded onto the truck is it directly going to the end consumer or it is going to a warehouse so all these issues today is very very ambiguous so there is no one call one can make uh, and, and what is what is green when it is starting in a green zone by the time uh, it reaches there god forbid if it turns to red yeah it's a, it's a very very fluid kind of a scenario sir yeah that is something which you would want to factor uh, in the overall kind of a cost structure and that also is more an existential kind of an issue sir so so that looks to be very open ended uh, and i am no authority to assume that when that is likely to come to normalcy it is anybody's guess sir so it is and we are not in a situation to make even an educated guess because there is no event that has happened in the past which is similar then we have some experience so this we, we have to learn as we progress so so i would not dare to make any educated guess even how it is going to shape up on that count so now i am not even commenting on the end consumer itself because uh, i i am not in see we, we are not in know of things about our uh, sector in a way we 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 could be comfortable yeah, with the migrant labor issues with the progress with the liquidity uh, we are not exactly know of uh, things about how the end consumer is going to uh, face this scenario yeah he is likely to face liquidity issues he is likely to face migrant issues he is likely to face uh, uh, face some issues which are not our material related the other material related issues so so there are far too many uh, variables and constraints 
so i would i would take it every day every week which is passing by uh, uh, but would not like to keep my neck out to, to really comment uh, how it's going to shape up my, my our only hope is uh, that uh, we get out of this at the earliest so internally our planning is that as a best case scenario we like again mind you this is only our assessment for the regions that we operate for the size that we are in our best case suggestion is that we will be starting at 25% uh, lower than what we will be doing what we have done last year sir. so it's not 25% from 100% sir it is 25% from 60 or percent what we did last year so that that's the best case scenario is what we are assuming worst could be anything so we would want to take the call systematically address the issues uh, we we are trying to ensure that enough liquidity is available for our survival for next six months uh, beyond that we would like to take a call every quarter for for next six months we are okay so we have done liquidity planning just to keep our vendors uh more than anybody the internal stakeholders everybody we have accepting them in mind uh, we have prepared enough liquidity in our own case for next six months uh, beyond which we would like to take a call on a quarter on quarter scale so we we would as an engineer we are trained to prepare for a worst case scenario so i am not i would not want to sound pessimistic sir but at the same time the scenario is not very very uh, 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 predictable so the ideal way is to look at uh, worst case scenario so and we wish strongly pray that uh, the scenario may not come and everything is going to be better but that's how we have prepared ourselves for sir so two related questions on a distribution a uh, few of the companies they have uh, warehouses in most of the districts a uh, few companies do also claim that they have captive place uh, sir how do you think the distribution strategies will change uh, going forward given uh covid is not something which is going away as you rightly said it might come back uh, now this scenario how to catch your distribution strategy is it meeting the three or five of you sir if you if you are looking specific to us we are very clear sir uh, the the uh, the supply chain the shorter it is the more economical uh, it is it gives you higher chances of your cost being lower than most of the other player but this is subject to you being small okay if you are a larger player especially trade and, and you cannot predict the demand on a day to day scale and especially the size is more than 10000 tons per day if you have to dispatch from a single location so the necessity of a warehouse is primarily to to offset the volatility that you would have in in the uh, in the demand but whereas your supply has to be reasonably smooth uh, that that is start point and, and some of the warehouses usually are in large urban centers and metros where you are not permitted to take big uh, high high volume dissing uh, stage through the through the city so you would have go down because you would have restrictions during the daytime because no entry zones at all so most of your warehouses are designed in such a way to to take care of these distribution pattern will it alter uh, with corona uh, i i don't think so. i don't think it would alter yeah there are some players who are very comfortable uh, passing it on to the last of the supply chain only through a very controlled environment called godown there are some players who, who actually give directly or hybrid system where uh, somebody would like to give it from the uh, godown to somebody like us but but the limitation is that it is a very specific to each location sir if location is small in terms of its capacity yeah you don't mind the variances that are happening because as such the capacity is low 
but if it's a large capacity uh, the distribution planning is a nightmare and and uh, and coupled with that you you cannot run a plant uh, from a thousand to ten thousand you cannot vary uh, uh, on an hourly basis or on, on a daily basis sir so most of your buffer uh, warehousing and everything is done to to give some cushions to your uh, overall planning in terms of the distribution and to to come out of the constraints that you would have with a larger uh, metro addressing larger metro sir uh, we have heard again during the covid time some of the people were extremely successful in uh, delivering directly to the customer so that, that, that that's more efficient as i stated before is that going to be the uh, thing going forward i i doubt sir i think uh, we we have to be mindful of all these issues though it's a case to case issue but in general i don't think the distribution pattern would be very different from what it has been so far okay okay so sir what you are indicating is uh, it's not that we will have a higher share of the pie uh, going forward essentially uh, uh, is this uh, it helps you it helps you service the customer but it, it doesn't make see i'm sure the other people would more or less make up uh, uh, by 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 doing whatever they are good at uh i don't think uh, that would significantly matter in any way that was the case uh, even before pre covid scenario also mr vidhi so some people keep lot of go down because they want to service the customers very quickly there were some other people who were actually making mobile go down in terms of keeping enough trucks outside they would have delivered there are some people who are planning it better because their dealers were always full so everybody had their own strategy but most of us they are following whatever strategies that they had successfully so i don't think that would get a big alteration with the covid kind of a scenario yeah that something which people will keep continue to do uh, some alterations to their distribution network what suits them uh, so if somebody is looking at uh, big stakes in those markets they they might want to open godowns which they don't have so far and some people might want to look at pragmatically to cut some cost they might alter some of those uh, Uh, distribution lines of uh, alpha distribution lines to make sure that uh, they still end up servicing the customer but in a different way but that's a continuous uh, process with covid in fact did it alter it is too soon to take a call on that because covid is just what five days sir. so the uh, learning is still yet to start so so i don't think uh, committing anything about uh, the distribution change changing because of uh, this covid in fact it's too soon for us to comment anything related to that Right. Okay. So, sir, sir, on the last part, we'll address uh, questions almost an hour. Uh, on the demand side, sir, how do you see things? And specifically to APN, Kalyan, each year and long back, uh, there were certain announcements which were expected on the infra side. Uh, but uh, based on reports, nothing has actually moved. Uh, now, this was if one had to ask you the question, say, please forward, uh, and how is the scenario right now? See, uh, see, I think these two things you cannot club in terms of how government uh, demand is going to shape up vis-a-vis to how the demand output is going to be. As stated, uh, again, uh, I, I just want to reiterate that uh, what we have internally planned may not be how the market scenario is going to be. This is exclusively internally. What we have planned is what we believe. Uh, we prepared a scenario which is uh, best case scenario for us. uh is we think that it is going to be 25% lower than what it was last year for us uh as a best case scenario worst case scenario could be anything uh, we would want to take it as it comes uh, 
So, this is that we are preparing ourselves in terms of the liquidity. Now, now going back to the question of AP and uh, Telangana government related issue, yeah, uh, industry was called for a meeting uh, in the first week of March, uh, where Mr. Uh, Jagamon Reddy, the Honorable Chief Minister of Andhra Pradesh, chaired the uh, meeting, along with all the important uh, senior bureaucrats were there. Yeah, the, uh, they called with a purpose that they have indicated that they would be consuming close to uh, 10 million to 12 million tons kind of a cement demand for some specific uh, government projects. Uh, they have indicated that the demand would be 12 million, uh, for which they, 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 they wanted us to support with the pricing, uh, where the industry overwhelmingly said that since uh, most of the projects were social related projects related to low cost housing and uh, upgrading the education facilities and upgrading some amount of uh, panchayat raj related uh, infrastructure uh, where they have, their industry clearly identified for them, them uh, the price is 235 on OPC and 225 on PPC for that 50 kg bag has been agreed for one year. Uh, now, now, then the COVID happened, uh, but what we are extremely happy to state is that uh, at Kagar, yeah, we, we received close to 5,000 tons of uh, education department order directly from government uh, and, and uh, we have heard that even uh, housing department is likely to give some orders. So, given this scenario, still we have received the order, sir. So, we, we believe that uh, if not 12 million in a year, uh, whatever discounts one can apply. I, I would play safe and assume that uh, there could be a 4 to 5 million ton kind of a demand which is likely to come from the government, uh, which we did not expect that is likely to happen. Now, other than this, uh, predicting demand is too soon uh, because again I would like to state that uh, the red zones actually constitute close to around 20 odd percent of all India in terms of the number of districts, sir. But when it comes to the demand, yeah, they are definitely more than 30-35% of the demand. So, how they are going to shape up, given the migrant outflow and, and, and uh, Ahmedabad, which fortunately was better, unfortunately it turned bad, I believe, and they have closed down. We don't know how long each of it would uh, act. So, given that scenario, sir, uh, uh, commenting anything on a demand would be very, very risky affair. Uh, the easiest call one can take, especially for for the markets that we operate, is that uh, they would definitely get impacted by 20% as a minimum. Uh, anything lower than that, we should celebrate because uh, uh, we should be safely, fairly safe and out of this COVID uh, impact scenario. So that would be the safest bet. Anything beyond that, we would not like to take a call and I don't think I have capacity to really predict uh, uh, what it is going to be. Uh, uh, perfect, perfect. Uh, so, thank you so much for the answers.